evangelism and, and so forth. But in this instance, we have an individual who's gone to another, um, another country, is in full-time evangelism as well. So that's um, something that we need to take note of and, and in, is giving himself to the work of the Lord. And obviously, as we saw, um, God's working in and through him to fulfil his purposes. So we really are encouraged and stirred and we appreciate you sharing that with us, brother. God bless you. All right, now I just want to share a few things. Again, it's not going to be a full message in light of what we've heard, but I kind of want to build on that because, interestingly enough, um, Gareth mentioned that he had heard the go- uh, at one stage he'd heard the gospel through an individual that uh, was uh, from the potter's house. And that was where I was, as many of you would be aware, that was where I was saved and first became a Christian some 25 years ago, uh, thereabouts, 26, I can't remember now, 1992, <coughs> 26 actually. And so, um, and I was birthed into that and I was part of that for 20, 20 years and so that is a, a fellow, and really a lot of the things that were put into me and birthed into me came um, uh, through, my, uh, through me being a part of that for as long as we were in Barbara and I and family and ministry and so forth. But we had such a, a strong emphasis on evangelism. We had such a strong emphasis on um, uh, church planting and we would have conferences once, twice a year and uh, they were going on all, everywhere and, and the whole emphasis was to plant churches. And so it was, a, um, it was something that was a strong emphasis and it was the whole focus of what I was involved in. So that I, is, uh, has been with me until this day, really, that's some of those things that were deposited through the, uh, by the Lord. And so in light of that, I want to share just um, a few things with us this morning that relate to the Great Commission as we know it uh, in terms of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not just talking about personal evangelism this morning. That's one aspect that's incorporated with it and the whole principle of one-on-one evangelism is, uh, is critical in when we talk about world evangelism. And so, but I want to focus on the greater aspect of world evangelism as we know it or the Great Commission. And so, um, because uh, it is, there's a corporate aspect or collective aspect. Here we are, we are a local church and as a local church we obviously have a responsibility and our ministry focuses on uh, preaching the gospel in, uh, in the community in which we are and the nation in which we're a part of but the issue of uh, world evangelism is also uh, to be a focus as well and part of the vision of, uh, of, of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we have a corporate responsibility, we have a corporate participation and that extends to us individually in terms of, well, what, what is my part? Because um, let me ask you this question, have you ever considered uh, what is God's will? What is God's will for me? And I'm sure many have. But especially if you're young, growing up, and, and, uh, and, you know, you've got your whole life ahead of you. It's like, well, what is God's will for me? What does God want? Are these questions that we ask ourselves because we must? And I think of Paul the Apostle in his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus and it was there that uh, as he encountered Christ, his first words were, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now think about that. 
Lord, what do you want me to do? This was the question that Paul put and having encountered the Messiah and having now uh, come to the knowledge of the truth, this was his first question. Lord, what do you want? And so it's in light of that that we uh, can consider uh, the will of God for ourselves. I mean, we have Jesus, the perfect example of one who in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know where he uh, was praying, he knew the, uh, what was before him and as he, as he agonised in prayer uh, and, uh, and he said these words, not my will but your will be done. And so this is important. This sets a principle. This gives us a perspective and an understanding of the Christian life because the truth is is we have to understand it in this way. Our life is not our own. We were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God and so forth in terms of our conduct. But at the same time, uh, the whole Christian life centres around, Lord, what do you want? What is your will? Now, let's ask ourselves, have we ever at any point in our lives asked God that question? Because we, we tend to at times, in our, and, and we all are in this trap because you know, we're living this life, we work, we live locally, we do what we do and, 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 and all of those things, but um, we have to have a God-centred perspective. Otherwise, we tend to have our own plans Otherwise we tend to, uh, in having our own desires and, and our own wants and our own will and somehow we, it's all about us. It's about what I want. It's about my desires and we ask God to put his approval and bless and prosper us in those things. But you see, the, the, the kingdom of God is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things shall be added to you. And the truth is, is when we, our disposition needs to be one as such as, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, we have in the book of James, we have him addressing the assembly there and he's bringing a word of rebuke and correction to their mentality because uh, they have gotten to a, a place uh, in which they, um, uh, in James chapter 4, where they are boasting about their plans their intentions, their will. And so James brings a kind of a stern rebuke when he says in James 4, verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So in other words, James is saying, your whole disposition must be if the Lord wills. Lord, what do you want me to do? And we have to take this approach in our Christian life because the truth is, is that... um, uh, what does God want? And so the truth is, is that God might have a plan and a purpose for your life that's different from that which you are intending and planning. He, yeah, that's true, isn't it? He might have a plan and a purpose that totally hasn't even entered your mind. It's possible. 
Absolutely possible. And so the whole nature of the Christian life is one about, is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what is your will? And so this is what I want to kind of present to us this morning in a very simple way and just consider a couple of things just quickly with you. And because if that's going to be the case, then what we have to do is we have to, as the Bible refers to, we have to learn in some instances as we are putting God first and surrendering to God is we have to count the cost in relation to serving the Lord and doing God's will. Because at times there will be a cost and sometimes that cost in serving God and in doing His will it could cost us everything. It could cost us all, all our lives. And we know for many that in their, in their witness for Christ there are those that lose their own lives in martyrdom in going forth in preaching and proclaiming the gospel. So this is a reality, but there is a cost that is involved in this process. And the Bible talks about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, a learner, a follower of Jesus. And as a Christian, we are, being, we are disciples, we are learners. And so as we seek God, as we draw near to God, as we learn to walk with God, and as we take this disposition of, Lord, what is your will, not my will, but your will be done, then God can harness our lives, he can use our lives, and he can work in us and through us for his good pleasure, as the Bible says, and ultimately to glorify his name, and ultimately in this context to preach the gospel unto the ends of the earth. Turn with me to Luke 14. Because here we find Jesus, and I just want to just, again, I'm not going to go through these in any great depth. I just want to highlight them as we just consider some of these thoughts this morning. But Jesus is speaking to a multitude, and in Luke 14, verse 25, great multitudes went with him, the scripture says, and he turns to them, and in turning to them, he obviously, with the intent of bringing to them a word, he says these words in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for the conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now that's a pretty potent, these are potent words from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they are potent because they cut to the heart of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a true follower, in which one, is, is Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, and he begins to say, he, he, he directs the issue of family, 
those that are closest to us, anything that would impede us from doing the will of God, from obeying the, the word of God in our lives. And so we have to, it's all about forsaking all. It's all about losing your own life in order to find it and in order to do the will of God count the cost. He gives these illustrations about taking up your cross and following him. And that again, a, a, a dying to self a, a, as the cross obviously is symbolic in its, of itself. But he says you've got to count the cost. And that word count means to calculate. You have to take serious consideration of what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ because your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. And you begin to realise it's not my will. It has to be his will, if the Lord wills. And any other thing outside of that is, is, of, is boasting and, and uh, is evil, James would go as far to say. We have to live our lives and conduct ourselves after this manner. We can see it again when we see these words count count to calculate it's a deliberate process it's a serious consideration it's about informed decisions it's not about being hasty and haphazard and saying yes lord oh yes lord but yet uh, you know then ultimately not following through it is accounting the cost it is understanding that it could cost that it could cost you everything to follow the lord and to do his will whatever that may be in terms of his plan for you as an individual. Go to Luke 9. Let's see it again. Luke 9, verse 23. Jesus again speaking. And he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and, in, and is himself destroyed or lost? Or for, whatever, who, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And again, we just see this emphasis that Jesus is bringing to bear upon those who he's communicating the gospel, those that he's preaching uh, of, uh, of himself uh, and uh, what it means to become a true follower and a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again in chapter 9, if you look a little bit further, go to verse 57. It talks about, the, again, this, the cost of being a disciple and of following Jesus. Listen to this. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, obviously just someone from the crowd, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus, in hearing those words, here is his response. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Or in other words, in, in terms of following Christ, you better realise that it, what that could entail because Jesus is referring to the fact that, um, and the simplicity of his own life and in doing the will of God. Then it says in verse 59, Then he said to another, Follow me. Now this is Jesus speaking. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, 
Let me first go and bury my father. Then Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Wow, that's pretty heavy. Now we're not going to go into the details of, of that. This, this, again, we're just reading this, we're highlighting it. But you can see the significance, you can see the importance. And in actual fact, the word that Jesus is speaking here goes contrary, I think, to the way we as humans think. Because you can read that and you go, gee, Jesus, why are you being so insensitive? I mean, don't you understand? There are some legitimate reasons here as to why at this point in time I can't do what you're asking me to do. And so Jesus is, uh, is, is not like, well, okay, well, look, when it's convenient for you or when you're ready. No, when Jesus calls, when Jesus makes this, uh, this, this call, he's expecting an immediate response. He's expecting obedience to that command and to the instruction right there and then. And so I, I think about that and it's true because, you know, Sometimes we have our own plans and we have our own purposes. We have legitimate reasons why we can't or can't do this and, and all of the rest of it. But you know, sometimes we just have to make a priority. We have to put God first. We have to obey the word of the Lord, what it is that God is requiring of us or speaking to us. Otherwise, we can find a, 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 a many apparent legitimate and justifiable reasons or excuses <laughs> as to why we can't. But it must be so. Look at verse 61. And another said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, seems harsh. But what is it that Jesus is getting at? Because he's obviously trying to highlight something. And again, it's this instance in which we are to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And in doing that, we must obey in the first instance and we must uh, um, do what God wants us to do. So again, this is all in the context of what we looked at at the beginning where Paul says when he encounters the Christ, what, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so, have you ever, in saying all of this, have, we, have you ever sat down and said before the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will? Now, I know that I'm, here I am in fulfilling the ministry at this point in terms of the plan and purpose of God, but you know, God can use your life. We're, we're, again, we're talking in the context of also missions here, Okay. Because, you know, when, especially when you're young, we have our plans and our, uh, our intentions, but what does God have for you? What's God's will? What does God want? Because, you know, God may have something else for you. God may want to use your life for a specific purpose and his plan and his purpose and he might ask and require of you to forsake and to, to, to take up your cross and to deny yourself and to lose your life in order to do his will. But this is the way of the kingdom of God this morning. So what role does God have 
for you and I as it relates, again, in the context of world evangelism. Like I said, I came from a fellowship where the whole emphasis was like, you know, raising workers and planting churches. And I understand that not everyone's called to that, obviously. But I also understand as well is that when we have a vision, when we have an emphasis that is uh, uh, orientated in such a way, then you know what? Um, the local church has a, not only does it minister into its local community in terms of outreach, but it also has a greater capacity and involvement in world evangelism. And that we can plant churches, that we can support missions, that we can be, uh, be, be part of this. And so some, sometimes it means we can give financially. Because we are, our involvement in world evangelism is, is related to our commitment to give. Because let's face it, folks, money's a reality. If we're going to fulfil the plan and purpose of God, money's required. If people are going to, as our brother is in a faith ministry in evangelism and so forth, but yet, uh, um, uh, to my understanding, um, it's, it's a faith ministry. So if it's full time, but it's the support of those that he's associated with and with that support him in that ministry. Someone has to be supporting. Someone has to be prepared to give. And that's where the local church and individuals facilitate that purpose. There's a, and, and there's something wonderful about that. To see our, as a local assembly where we collectively give and we are part of, and, and giving into world evangelism and into missions and to workers here and there and to see the fruit and reward of our investment and of our giving and of uh, the labours of individuals that would be participating and fulfilling that purpose. And so... This is the whole aspect of world evangelism. Remember, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We can't ignore that. I understand it starts here and it starts with our local evangelism, but I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about going to all the world and preach the gospel. How does that fit? Jesus in Acts as he tells them to tarry and to wait to be endured with power on high, from on high, he, he tells them to, that they will be witnesses unto him in um, Jerusalem or Samaria, in Judea, and, or, and unto the ends of the earth. So in other words, it starts locally, but it expands beyond the local. And that's how, it, that's how the gospel generally works. And so God takes an individual. He can take a, a, a group of people. He can take a local assembly. And when we take this approach of following Jesus, when we give and when we sacrifice our lives and our time and our finances and when we live this life, God can take that and he multiplies it for his own purposes and we become partakers of the work of God and of the kingdom of God and the reward is seeing people come to Jesus Christ, to seeing people come to the knowledge of salvation, experience God's love and forgiveness and come to faith in the Lord and serve him and to have a part in that process is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so this is a perspective that we need to embrace this morning. And as Jesus himself stated, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He agonised over that. It, sometimes 
in doing the Lord's will, they're, they're, we have to wrestle. Is it going to be what I want? Or is it God, what God wants? Well, like Paul, we, have we asked ourselves the question, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? God will put desires in your heart. You'll sense a calling. You'll, you'll identify the gifts that God has bestowed upon you. And as a body, we function together for the greater purpose of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, which is to pre- preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's going to require, amen, uh, um, those that are prepared to commit themselves to this work. See, commitment can be a dirty word in our generation. But you see, commitment is the very building block of the kingdom of God. God needs people that are committed, people that are dependable, people that are faithful, people that are reliable. And that word commitment, uh, as I just looked it up in the dictionary, we all hear it, but let's just define it. A pledge or an obligation to follow a certain course of action. The state of being emotionally or intellectually devoted as to belief, a course of action, or to another person. Something pledged especially by contract involving financial obligation. Commitment. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about counting the cost. It's about committing oneself. And it's being committed, being dependable, being faithful. And God works for those that have counted in those and through those, those that have counted the cost, those that have committed themselves. And God blesses and works in and through them for this purpose. And you know what, church? I want to be part of that. I want to be a part of it individually. I want to be a part of it collectively with the, with the fellowship and here amongst us that we ourselves could uh, uh, begin to be used of God in a, in a greater way. And yes, that begins because we need to see the local church grow. So as we evangelise personally and doing all these things, but how much more uh, can we begin to branch out in the work and purposes of God? Our brother touched on Fiji. I, uh, I was in Fiji with the uh, Bevic family a few years ago and we had the same thing. And we went to visit a school and like the whole school comes out. And they're up at uh, 4.30 in the morning, you know, the school. And um, those that are boarding there, living there, and they're up and they're out and they're reading their Bible, they're doing their devotions and and so um, that kind of response is, is a special thing. And so it was, uh, going on mission trips is a, always a privilege and a blessing. Did you find that, Gareth? Yeah. Yeah. And I know over the years I've been, as a Christian, I've been to uh, India a couple of times. I've been to Fiji. And so I know that the experiences that they have given me in terms of um, of serving God and just having a greater perspective because, you know, Australia's a blessed country. I remember the first time I went to India and I came out from the plane and it was like five in the morning and the sun was coming up and we were being driven for an hour to the destination on the outer suburbs of Bombay or Mumbai as it is now and uh, I remember as, as the sun was coming up and we were driving down this road, on the left and on the right there were just hundreds of people. I thought, gosh, what's going on? I realised that they were all doing their morning business because that's the way it was. I was horrified 
I was shocked. And yet, and we went into this place and we began to just share the gospel with the, those people on the streets and just what was going on around us. But you see, the experience was priceless. I had such an appreciation because, you know, the Christian workers in other nations and, and just the experience of being broadened in that, uh, it, did, it did have an impact and an effect on me that to this day still serves me. And so I want to encourage you as I conclude this morning that uh, we did do a mission trip to Fiji but we are planning another mission trip uh, next year. Um, around Fe- We haven't exactly finalised the dates but it's around um, February, March it's going to be. We can confirm that uh, shortly. But we're going to go back uh, to the Philippines. There's a mission there, uh, orphanage and there's churches there. Pastor Werner and, and Colm went there a few years ago um, and so we're going to go back there uh, to the Philippines in early next year. And so um, in light of that, I want to encourage people to seriously consider joining with us. Um, we're going to structure it. We're going to set it out. And so it's going to, when we're there, we're going to be committed to the work. We're going to labour for the Lord. And, we're going to, and the, the person in charge there uh, has, will be creating the opportunities for us for evangelism, for ministry and going into various places we have many options available to us and so we're going to go there and uh, do that. And so I want to encourage you, come and join with us. Come and join with us. I took Matthew to Fiji and he found out recently uh, that uh, we'll be heading across to the Philippines and he said, Dad, I want to come. And I know, I, I, I'll get him there. I'll take him. Because I just know that there, as a young person that type of investment, that type of exposure and, and uh, experience is, is, is priceless and the Lord can, can do wonderful things. And so I just want to encourage people because we want to take a team across. Just, not just Colm and myself heading across, but we want to take a, a, a group of people with us. And so whether you're young or old or whoever you are, uh, I want to encourage you and exhort you to join with us and to participate if you can. And, uh, or make the time. You say, I can't, I've got time, I haven't got time. Well, what does the Lord want? And then do what's required and uh, come and be a part of it and let's join together. And so I just want to put that out there. Now, if that is of interest to you, then um, if you could possibly speak to me after the service or within the next one to two weeks, to, if you have any questions or inquiries or uh, whatever your intentions are, if you could communicate that to me or Colm over the next uh, few weeks or even today, if you have any questions, then please do so because we want to try and finalise this very quickly and set that up. Um, but uh, it's going to be a mission trip to the Philippines next year. Praise the Lord. All right, so in having said all that, we will come to a conclusion